Here's a game about climbing up and sliding down. It's called Chutes and Ladders. You can land on something good, like rescuing a kitten in a tree. Ah, you're going up, up, up the ladder. Or land on break the cookie jar. First one to climb to 100 wins. Chutes and Ladders really has its ups and downs, but mostly it's lots of fun. Chutes and Ladders is a Milton Bradley game. Life is all about the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the ladders to success and the slides back down of failure. And from an early age, we are given a game that helps us understand exactly what to expect with life. Ironically, not the game of life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ironically enough. This is the story of Shoots and Ladders. This is Toys R Us. All of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Hello. And welcome back to the Toys R Us podcast. Your slide back into the past to climb up the ladder of knowledge by finding out a history of a piece of your childhood oh. that left its mark. <sighs> nice. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me forevermore is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Also known as DJ Smooth B. Oh, Smooth B like bowel movement? Yeah. Gotta keep it regular. Oh, like, uh, regulators! Mount up! Yep. This, Brian, this week we dive into the surprisingly deep history of a board game that either made you ecstatic with a win or pissed you off immensely when you made it to the top and ended up fucking sliding literally all the way back down. All the way to the bottom. That's right. We're going to be discussing the history of shoots and ladders. Are you ready? Yep. You betcha. Let's start our ascension. Oh, goosebumps. <laughs> We start our tale in an unspecified time in ancient India, where we meet up with the original version of the game, now known as Shoots and Ladders, or Snakes and Ladders everywhere else. Everywhere else. Because, America, you you know. uh, It was known then as Gayan Chopa, or Mokasha Patam, or Parama Padam, or Mokshapet. Wow. Yes. These titles translate roughly to terms like Game of Self-Knowledge, Ladder to Salvation, or Steps to the Highest Place, showing the weight of the content it was meant to convey. Seriously, that's that's a, yes. that, that's some heavy shit there. <laughs> yes. No wonder you're fucking sliding all the way down. No kidding. Um, it was used to teach Hindu Dharma and Hindu values to children. The British renamed it as Snakes and Ladders, and it's not exactly known when or who invented it, though it is believed to have been played as early as the 2nd century BC. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, according to some historians, the game was invented by St. Gandiv in the 13th century AD. Phew. So it's another one of these that's just like, doesn't have Very like, a concrete... Yeah. The game taught a moral lesson by representing the karmic cycle. The final square represented moksha, which is liberation or salvation, from samsara, the cycle of death and rebirth. Damn. A player would reach this point by climbing ladders, which represented rebirth into higher forms of life by doing good deeds. Holy shit. (laughs) And falling down the board via snakes, which represented rebirth into lower, lower forms by doing evil. 
Yeah. That's fucking heavy, dude. Yeah. Certain versions of the game push the moral and religious teaching even further by including religious or spiritual meaning in the size and shape of the board itself. The number of the final square and the specific placement of the virtues and vices. Ancient iterations also featured fewer ladders than snakes as a reminder that a path of good is more difficult to follow than the path of sins. Fuck. <laughs> this is a kid's game. Yes, shoot some ladders. Specifically, one early version of the game contained five ladders. Uh, asceticism, faith, generosity, reliability, and knowledge. And twelve snakes. Disobedience, debt, drunkenness, greed, lust, lying, murder, pride, rage, theft, vanity, and vulgarity. Holy shit. I, I, fuck, I embody a lot of those. Yes, I mean, you know. I mean, as as humans we do, but fuck. Uh, The underlying ideals of the game inspired a version in Victorian England in 1892, which replaced the Indian virtues and vices with Victorian, Anglican, and Protestant doctrines of morality. Yes. yes! I fell down the fucking slide there. Yes! Oh, Lord. Squares of fulfillment, grace, and success were accessible via virtues like industry, obedience, penitence, punctuality, and thrift. Hmm. Squares of disgrace, illness, and poverty, on the other hand, were the results of vices like disobedience, frivolity, gambling, and... In indolence? Yes, indolence. Indulgence and quarrelsomeness. Jeez. Quarrelsomeness. Uh, I can be rather quarrelsome on occasion. I mean, you know, we're prone to do it. Yeah. The number of ladders also increased to equal the number of snakes, signifying the cultural ideal that for every sin a person commits, there exists another chance of redemption. Uh, that makes sense. Equal and opposite reaction. It makes sense, but thing. the Indian version is... Like, I think more realistic. No, I I, I you know? agree completely. And and then and it goes back to like that whole fucking type of religion of like, well, no matter what you do, if you believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, and Steve people, over there uh, just raped and murdered a two year old, but in prison he's in a, you know, tell God he loves him, and then he's fine. Yeah, and then he's all right. That's fucked. That is fucked religion completely and utterly. Super fucked. Not a fan of the stuff myself. Nah, nah. I'm a fan of the stuff. Yes, the movie? Yes, but yes. not a fan of the stuff. Right, yeah. correct. Much of the decor and the art of early English boards of the 20th century reflect the relationship between Britain and its imperial possession, India. You can actually see versions of the game reflect history as British rule collapsed. Very few pictorial re- references to the Indian culture survived past India's independence in 1947. That's why physical allusions to religious and philosophical thought in the game, as presented in Indian models, are rare in today's iteration, iterations of the game. Which, yeah. Yeah, who, I mean... Who, who would have fucking thought? When I, when I started writing this, I'm like, oh. Yeah. I'm that meme of that guy. You know, where uh-huh. he just like, bl- looks and blinks his eyes? Yeah. That's me. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Shoots and ladders, dude. It's like, the thing that gets me most about that, that last section was that India's only been independent since 1940-fucking-7. Yeah. Yeah. The world is a vampire. <laughs> since a dream. Yeah. Britons. Or despite all my rage, I'm still just a Nicolas Cage. 
which uh, I started listening to a podcast called Cage's Kiss. Yeah. Uh, we follow each other on Twitter. Oh. They're fucking hilarious. It is an entire Nick Cage podcast. That's interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. Yes. Yes. Mm. What, what's it called again? Cage's Kiss. Cage's Kiss. Yes. I like fucking it. Fucking like. I'm a vampire. Yes. It's just great. Um, it may be said that whilst the gameplay of Guy and Chapar is the same as today's Snakes and Ladders, the board and higher objective of the game may be said to be quite different. Like the modern Snakes and Ladders board, the number of squares in that of Guy and Chapar may vary. One version of this board, for instance, contains 72 squares, while another has 100. A major difference between the traditional and modern versions is the fact that in the former, a virtue or, a virtue or vice and the effects of these virtues and vices or something neutral is placed within each box. Okay. For instance, in an Indian guy and Shapur board of 72 boxes, squares number 24, 44, and 55 have the vices of bad company, false knowledge, and ego, respectively. As the game's... <laughs> <laughs> or just a card for Donald Trump. Oh. Fuck. Yeah, you're right. Bad company, false knowledge, uh-huh. and ego. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. And, and in each box is just a picture of Donald Trump. Hey, but at least I made it to the game, okay? I'm all over <laughs> it. Look at there's my face. It's the best game ever. It's chips and letters, okay? Mm. It's good for my small hands. <laughs> it's not to, there's not a lot to do. Tiny, very simple. Tiny hands. Um... As the game places great emphasis on, on karma, the Hindu principle of cause and effect, each vice, which are the snake's heads, has a corresponding effect. Thus, for the vices mentioned above, the corresponding effects are conceit or vanity, plane of sensuality, and illusion. Plane mm. of sensuality sounds like a 70s psych band. Yeah, it sounds like a like a Sade song or something. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. <laughs> That's the sequel to Smooth Operator. Yes. Lord. On the other hand, the virtues of purification, truth, faith, and conscience are contained in squares number 10, 28, and 46, and these lead to heavenly plane, <laughs> plane of truth, and happiness, respectively. <laughs> Those lead to Bernie Sanders. Ah. <laughs> hey. Sorry, super political today. I don't know why. Uh, probably because our fucking country is on fire. Oh, right. <laughs> How this, could I forget? In this version of the board, the goal is to reach box number 68 which is the plane of Shiva. Gotta love Shiva. Gotta love Shiva. Uh, the game was so popular that it was also adopted and adapted by other religions that existed in the Indian subcontinent. It is known that Jain, Buddhist, and Muslim adaptations of the game exist as the concepts of cause and effects and reward and punishment are common for them. Makes for, sense. For devout followers of these religions, the game may be played as a form of mediation as a communal exercise and even as part of one's religious studies without the use of more conventional books or sermons. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's not bad. That's kind of like light on the, today. You know? Kind of light on the, the actual, like, dogma of right. religion. Exactly. More teaching the, the morality of things. Right. Which is, you know, what... It should be. It should be. It's not. It's it's all indoctr- indoctrination. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Cool, dude. We get it. <laughs> Thanks for terrifying your fucking child for life. It's like okay, 
Right. White people good, brown people bad. Yeah, stupid as the stupid does. Yeah. You know? Uh, it may be added that many of the surviving game boards are works of art in their own right. As they oh, I have no doubt. Elaborate illustrations of human figures, architecture, flora and fauna, etc. These boards were commonly made of painted cloth, and most of the extent ones date from after the middle of the 18th century AD. And I'll put some in the show notes because mm-hmm. they're fucking... I'm sure they're really gorgeous. Like, you sent me that picture of that one, and I'm like, wow, that's... It's very elaborate. Yeah. It's a lot of work went into fucking making it. Yeah, like, I mean, even so much so that I thought it was like an early periodic table. Yeah. I mean, it's like, fuck. Yeah. Uh, The game of Guy and Shapur became snakes and ladders toward the end of the 19th century when it was introduced by... Or when it was introduced to Britain by India's uh, colonial leaders. While the original gameplay was maintained, its underlying philosophical message was greatly diminished. The religious virtues and vices were replaced by two-part cartoon dramas connected either by a snake or a ladder. Additionally, the number of snakes and ladders were equalized, whilst in the original ones there were usually more snakes than ladders, which symbolizes the belief that it is far easier to fall prey to vice than to uphold virtue. Well, they're not wrong. Definitely not wrong. No. 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 Devout lay people would play these games as a form of mediation and communal exercise, reinforcing the teachings of the religions in a form or a study that didn't involve books. As such, the contents of each square were carefully considered, their connections intended to invite contemplation about specific tenets and the larger worldview they reflected when taken together. Predictably, landing on a snake square for drunkenness would drop your, uh, would drop your piece a few spaces. But that square's relationship to those around it was also relevant to the message of the game. Their groupings, their groupings would divide and classify ver- various spiritual contents or outline a religion's cosmology. It's possible that even the ratio of snakes to ladders, one version have 40 to 22. Jeez. Or a means of communicating how fraught and narrow the, re- the righteous path could be. Uh, <laughs> which, you know. Yeah. But the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, it is. Uh, my impression is that some of the boards, including the Jane ones, seem more pessimistic in that they include a lot of snakes and fewer shorter ladders to aid the upward path, says Andrew Topsfield, keeper of Eastern art at the Ashmolean Museum, Oxford, and a leading scholar on the game. This may reflect that very highly developed nature of Jane karma theory and that many sub- subtle spiritual pitfalls that the Jane scholars identified. The bhakti, or devotional worship-based boards, Hindu and Muslim, can seem a little more balanced in this respect, though not without generous provisions of dangerous snakes of their own. Rows of squares are sometimes even arranged by levels of enlightenment, even in shapes suggesting the human body, simultaneously reflecting concepts like karmic path, chakras, or other conceptions about various levels of the spiritual realm. Sounds like a tool video. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mom's gonna end it all soon, you know? Yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, just uh, stepping on in here to let you know that we will be at Wizard World Comic Convention in Chicago on August 24th in Room 13... From 12.30 to 1.15 p.m., that's Saturday, August 24th, 
Uh, we'll be doing a panel, so if you're going to be at Wizard World Chicago, stop on by. We'll be uh, giving out little goodie bags and having a raffle, so stop on by. If you're anything like me, you listen to more podcasts than you know what to do with. If you want to be even more like me, well, you should download the Podcoin app. It's a free and very user-friendly app that pays you to listen to podcasts. You get paid in Podcoins, which you can do one of two things with. Put it towards charities, they have an entire full list. Or buy yourself a gift card from Target, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Amazon, the list goes on and on. So what are you waiting for? Download the Podcoin app today and use the code TOYSWERUS to get yourself 300 extra Podcoins. And now, back to the show. One surviving board is even divided into sub-games corresponding to a distinct spiritual or earthly states of being, an elaboration on the basic mechanic that enhances the religious content. Many of the old boards are genuine works of art, as telling as any manuscript or painting, because Absolutely. in a sense they're both. You know? yeah, yeah. Like once once you figured out it was, you know, snakes and ladders, you were like, oh, yeah. Kind of like uh, a snapshot of the time period it came from. Yeah, really. Which you could say that for for most art, you know. Yeah, that's true. You see it, you're like, oh. Yeah, Some yeah fucking, that makes uh, sense. Racist confederate drew that. Yeah. I, I see. Um, games are an art form, and the aesthetics are important. Macklin says it's kind of like a ritual, and of course, games are very tied to ritual. The way that a church looks, for instance, or the way that the goblet you might be passing around in some sort of ceremony, all matter as much as the meaning behind it. Nomenclature is another major distinguishing factor between versions of snakes and ladders. The final square of the rare remnant of a 200-year-old Sufi board, for example, speaks of extinction into God. Fuck! <laughs> Echoing the Sufi doctrine, death before death. Okay. <laughs> what is dead may never die. Well, yeah, it's like, wow, that's... Yeah. That's, okay, that's, again, heavy for a, for fucking, for a fucking board game. Yeah, dude. Uh, though distinct, these notions aren't dissimilar from the Jain and Hindu versions' goal of reaching moksha, the ultimate release from the cycle of life and death, in their terminal squares. In the American version, we win a blue ribbon. Oh. Wow. Schmancy. So cool. Modern adaptations of the game are much less rigorous in the messages they try to impart. In a popular American version, moral lessons are illustrated as comically simple drawings that anyone in the born in the 80s will recognize. A boy rescues a cat and makes a new friend at the top of the ladder. A girl eats too many chocolates, which, as shown at the bottom of the connected chute, makes her ill. Confusingly, at the top of another ladder, a girl is apparently prepping to eat an entire cake as her reward for baking it. Baller. I mean, that's the best part, dude. I mean, who wants? Who doesn't like to have their cake and eat it, too? That's true. Uh, there's no apparent plan in the arrangement of these messages, their relationships to one another, or their correspondence with the number of squares a given ladder or shoot advances a player or sets them back. Imperial Britain is largely responsible for any of us in the West being exposed to this game at all. It was important mm. to Victorian England and Sukhanan, even keeping the Indian iconography in its boards until around the 1930s. The virtues and vices became more generalized, endorsing grace and success under the ladders without, or with warnings of poverty and disgrace adorning the snakes. Pregnant religi- religious inscriptions were replaced by the two-part cartoon drama separated by a ladder <laughs> or a serpent, and eventually a shoot. 
uh, as the snake-to-ladder ratio was generally evened out. It was probably thought that the U.S. infants would be frightened by all those snakes, says Topfield, another historian. Look, snakes are scary, but man, they ain't that scary. Well, I mean, no, you see, it's it's this whole thing that, like, well, that's a snake, so that's the devil. So, yeah, we'll just keep him away from Eve because that lousy rib woman got us kicked out of Eden. Yep. Hey, you remember that movie Anaconda where that thing killed J-Lo? That was the devil. Oh. The devil I, killed Jennifer Lopez. But I liked him when he ate John Voight. That was cool. Mmm, John Voight, man. That's a hell of an actor, man. Tell you what. <laughs> oh, God. oh, fuck me. Um... Perhaps this might reflect some deeper cultural predisposition going back to when the first western-bound settlers had to watch out for rattlesnakes. It's not that. No, that sounds like bullshit to me. It did well in the UK and the US, retaining its potency as a childhood game that at least in part furthered the moral version of its host culture. But how did it sell in Canada? (laughs) Canada is uh, actually snakes and letters. Yeah. Because, you know... They don't even fucking have snakes in Canada. <laughs> I was going to say, snakes and hosers. Oh, that's not a snake, that's a hose. Oh. Um, these games are a vehicle for culture. Another reason that the chameleonic nature of snakes and ladders is so interesting, it provides a window into numerous places and times of world history. Absolutely. And their look, feel, and design receive the priorities, values, aesthetics, and mentality of people we'll never get a chance to meet. Today, the game continues to demonstrate its value as an educational tool in promoting linear thinking and concepts of sequence. It's a form that's still being in, uh, innovated upon. Hmm. Versions have been designed to educate communities facing the consequences of climate change on how to face conflict or how to learn local farming cycles. Huh. Games like these aren't designed to be won, but to teach and communicate through experience. Uh, in our time, games are still as much as the amplifier of culture, of uh, music, film, and literature. Yeah. A game like Grand Theft Auto probably says a lot about our culture, not all of it good, nah. but little of that message really comes from the mechanics or design of the game itself. That's true. Because that's very choice-based, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. I mean... You get, into, you get into a period where you're just like, okay, I'm going to drive as if I were really driving. Mm-hmm. And you just fucking stop like, at every red light. I am going to obey every single law Until some asshole NPC just comes up and fucking rear-ends you, and then yeah. you're just like, okay, I'm going to kill you're this like, fucking guy. It's fucking on now. I'm going to yeah. stomp this dude. Yeah. We bounce on then to 1943, where we meet up with the powers that be at Milton Bradley. Milton Bradley. They introduced snakes and ladders as shoots and ladders. It retained a surprising amount of metaphor consistent with every previous iteration of the game, and was yet again adapted to match the needs of its culture. The moralistic tones are more subtle, with the emphasis on child-friendly good deeds like mowing the lawn, the aforementioned saving a cat from a tree, and eating healthy. <laughs> and bad deeds like eating too many cookies, drawing graffiti, and not studying. Is there really such a thing as eating too many cookies, though? No. I mean, I love cookies. Me too, dude. And listen, I will fucking fight literally every motherfucker that shits on oatmeal raisin cookies. Dude, oatmeal raisin cookies are awesome. Did you get a fucking soft ass oatmeal raisin cookie from Panera Bread, dude? Dude. Uh, Fuck me up with the fucking cheddar broccoli bread bowl (laughs) and a fucking oatmeal raisin cookie, okay? 
that's life. Hey, you can't go wrong with oatmeal raisin, that's what I say. There you go. Uh, it's odd, however, that the game is oddly sexist. Is Cer- it? Certain stereotypes of boys or girls are readily apparent. Standard girl behaviors such as washing dishes, planting a garden, visiting a sick friend, or tending to someone's injuries were rewarded. However, typical boys will be boys type activities, ice skating or fishing without permission, teasing a girl, or pea shooting are harshly punished. In fact, of the ten shoots in the game, boys take the complete ownership of eight of the bad activities. Damn! While girls account for only one. The last is shared by both genders. Reading, painting but only on an easel, not a wall. Returning a lost purse and mowing the lawn are the only behaviors by boys return are rewarded in the game. Jeez. The moral lesson learned seems to be that boys are inherently bad unless they act similar to girls, quiet and still. To further solidify this lesson, the two biggest drop or the two biggest drops in the game uh, go to girls who step out of line, simply for accidentally breaking things, but more on that later. Uh, apparently nothing is worse than a girl who acts like a boy. Oh, jeez, really? Yeah. Oh, God. Funny enough, no parents are present in any of these children's activities, <laughs> unless one of them misbehaves in square 26, 75, 73, and 60. And then these helicopter parents just kind of, like, swoop in to administer justice. How? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, administer justice is always one of my uh, favorite phrases. So but like good. on a standard American snakes and ladders board, uh-huh. how many squares are there? I want to say it's a hundred. I okay. don't want to talk about it more. Yeah, it's a hundred. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, is like you're giving off the numbers. I was just mm. yeah, it's a hundred. Uh, instilling proper nutrition and eating habits in young children has to be one of the most difficult challenges that parents face in any culture and time period. However, the mixed messages being sent in this game would create a nightmare for any parent. First off, there is a young boy eating what appears to be a white bread sandwich, or perhaps a small cardboard box. Honestly, it's hard to tell. Uh, simply eating the nutritionally empty bread instead allows the boy to explode into a rippling specimen of adolescent fitness. But then we have a young boy who is excited to have picked an armful of apples. In fact, I challenge anyone to think of a time that they have seen a child with more exuberance towards a healthy snack item. He's like losing his shit. He's like, yeah, fuck your apples! I got these apples, man! (laughs) Yo, Nick! Oh, God. In fact... Oh, God, wait, wait. Yet... Drop 38 spots down, and you'll see the same boy with a stomach ache after eating only two of the apples. What's the lesson here? An apple a day keeps the doctor away, but more than one, you'll become violently ill. (laughs) (laughs) Do you eat the seeds and all and get the whole, you know, cyanide out of it? We've all fucking done. Oh, yeah. Just to see if we can do it. Yeah. I'm going to eat the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Um, Then why not? Every child in this game is an asshole. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, for a long time, and, and I'll talk more on it in a bit, is white. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Rather creepily so, with beady blue or black eyes that constantly seem to be trying to steal your soul. Maybe it's like those Jesus people. things that like the eyes follow you uh, no matter yeah. where you are. You're like, oh, mm-mm. you're like, no, get that devil magic away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a disproportionately large number of red-headed children in Shoots and Lighters, a group that 
only makes up about 1% to 2% of the general population. Really? Yet is attributed to 30% of the children in Shoots and Lighters. That's ridiculous. Uh, when it comes to gameplay, it works like this. The game is played on a 10x10 graded board, which is numbered sequentially, sequentially in a zigzag pattern from 1, the start, mm-hmm. in the lower left corner, to 100, or to 100 at the end, in the top left corner. At various locations on the board are placed snakes and ladders, each of which connects a pair of squares. Snakes are shown in red, with a dot representing their heads, and ladders in a light green with the point showing the direction of travel. Which is kind of like, I wish we would have had snakes and ladders. Right. You know, like... I mean, that... mm. I get it, dude. Sure, you're afraid of snakes. Right. There's a snake in my boot. I saw I saw a drawing someone made, and I wish I had not seen it. Oh, because no. Because it's Woody standing with his boot in front of his crotch. Uh, and he tells Buzz, there's a snake in my boot. And Buzz is like, I'm pulling it, but nothing's coming. Oh, good lord. <laughs> I'm like, why? Uh, rule 34 <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> like Keenan and Cal, why? I don't mean to see that shit. No. Mm, no one needs to see that shit. My, my brain was better off not knowing that that exists yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, all the players start off the board on a single roll die. Or in the case of the Milton Bradley version, flick a spinner labeled 1 through 6. Ooh. Which, yeah, that's cool, but like we've, I think we've mentioned it before, fingernails are like the weakest part of your fucking yeah. body. So if you flip that spinner a little bit too, too hard... Too hard, man. You're gonna... You just put yourself down the chute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, if the completion of your move results in your token landing at the foot of a ladder, you instantly climb up the top of that ladder. Ta-da. Correspondingly, if your move lands on the head of a snake, you are forced to slide down the snake to an earlier square. There are no consequences to landing on the top of a ladder or the tail of a snake. Hmm. The snakes the snakes slash ladders are one-way events. Mathematically, we describe this as a direct graph. The first player to square 100 wins. The official rules of Milton Bradley uh, state that to win, you must land exactly on square 100. Staying put and missing your turn if you... If your roll would overshoot, so you have to like if you were if you were four away, you and, had to hit a four. Yeah, you move. Which sucks because if somebody's like ten squares below you and they just so happen to get two lucky rolls, Dude, they can fucking beat you just by the fact just you four by, fucking oh, by a away. lucky flick. Yeah, not even a lucky roll. Yeah, it's just a fucking flick. Uh, a great way of adding drama and complexity to the game is to add a dice. Instead of using one dice, children are required to combine the added total of two dice. By performing this complex skill within the confines of the game, children have the opportunity to engage in more complex multiplication sequences. A really fun and sometimes challenging addition to the game is for each child to receive two dice and two tokens. This automatically raises the game's complexity and adds a strategic component to the game. <laughs> yeah, gambling component. Really? I mean, you know, gotta start them young. Not yeah. a bad outcome for one or one of the most simple board games out there. The goal for each child is to be the first to guide both tokens from the bottom square to the top square. Right. When a child rolls two dice, he slash she has to make a decision whether to move both tokens or combine the total to move a single token. Uh-huh. For instance, a boy rolls two dice for his tokens. He rolls a four and a two. 
He visually scans the board and notes that if he moves the two pieces to the allocated slots, he will fortunately miss the snake's heads, but will also unfortunately miss the ladders. The boy can move both tokens forward safely, however, the boy calculates that if he combines the four with the two, he can move one token six spaces. This particular token will finish its turn on a ladder and thus climb up the ladder. The boy makes the strategic decision to combine the two dice for one token to climb the ladder. The other token remains in the same place as the beginning of the turn because it does not move this turn. This simple sequence motivates the child to make decisions and problem solve. I get that. That's fucking smart. Yeah. I wish I would have like known about that variant. Because it, it, it does toss a whole new fucking thing into the mix. You want to hear something fucked up? Yes. Duh. I've never played. What? Yeah. Sabrina neither. Really? I'm like, what? what? How? We weren't really a board game family. Like, That's we, fair. Yeah, I mean... That's fair. The... I mean, we had a bunch of board games, but a lot of them were, like, uh, like half there. Yeah. I think, like, the only, like, two, like, board games we had that were complete were a chess set, and actually, we got a couple more, but, like, that and Battleship. And we eventually had a, like, sorry and trouble to the yeah. mix, but... Hmm. Well, we'll have to play one day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, much like the other board games we have covered, there is just a buttload of various variants. Oh, no doubt. Uh, Spider-Man. Ready for a climbing, sliding, super adventure? Then you're ready for the Spider-Man version of the classic shoots and ladders. I was going to bring up Spider-Man, too. <laughs> That's interesting. Just choose a character, whether it's a hero or a villain, and start spinning the spinner. If you reach the winner 100 square first, you win, and the ladders help you get there faster. But watch out for those shoots. You can slide all the way back to the bottom of the board, and then you're far away from the win. Whether you're playing a Spider-Man, Iron Spider, or even Green Goblin, you'll have tons of slip-sliding fun with this Spider-Man shoots and ladders game. How do you slide to the bottom? You got web shooters. You just, you know, just... Oh, it's just like that scene where his power stopped working. Oh, uh, okay. Or maybe he's out of web fluid. True. He's, yeah, True. and needs to swap out his cartridges. <laughs> There's a... Like, Tobey Maguire, he didn't want to come back right. for Spider-Man 2. And there's a scene, you know, when his powers stop working. Yeah. And he attempts to try to swing off a building, but he falls and right. his back. So... My back! His excuse for not wanting to come back for for uh, Spider-Man 2 was that he hurt his back. Yeah. On so, Seabiscuit, I think. <laughs> so they wrote into it him saying, My back! <laughs> Just to fucking troll him. You know, uh, I actually hear that Tobey Maguire is kind of a dirt, uh, kind a of a jerk. Yeah, I heard that too. I watched a video last night where like he's by paparazzi. I'm, I'm just gonna play it because it's fucking funny. Okay. Um, he's by a bunch of paparazzi, and like understandably so, uh, he gets angry because like they're flashing him, and he's trying to like pull sure, out. Do his. Um, a bunch of assholes. Right? It's fucked up, dude. Yeah. Damn! 
Wow. There are cars there, motherfucker. I was like, oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Nice. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Does whatever Spider-Man can. God. But you know, it's understandable. Get out of his fucking way. Yeah. He's got shit to do. He's, he's got webs to swing. You have uh, Dora the Explorer. Mm. You have Sesame Street. Okay. You have Hasbro's Collector Edition, which uh, is in a collector's tin. Ooh. And uh, is adapted from the 1956 edition. Oh. You have Disney's Planes <laughs> Fire and Rescue, which is like... <laughs> that movie tanked. Yeah. That movie was like, like hard. So like, like you never hear about it. No, it was so no, I forgot about it. So I, I saw I the did picture. Too. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's right. They made planes. Yeah, you have My Little Pony. You okay. have Mar- Marvel Superhero Squad. Huh. You have Angry Birds. <laughs> Let's slap Angry Birds on anything. anything. Fucking Angry Birds claws to me, babe. Angry Birds rat killer. Oh, God. <laughs> Angry Birds mousetraps. Hey, you know. Uh, Disney Princesses. Go, Diego, go. Go, Diego. There is a VHS Interactive Shoots and Ladders. Cause, we you should know, do a whole episode uh, on those will. VHS oh, games. Oh, we fucking will. And uh, an Elephant and Friends version. Oh, Elephant. Yeah. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Forever. Which, they still make him, so it's like, you know... That's another mm-hmm. one of those just fucking simple-ass toys. Yeah, I mean, jeez, that's... There's also a uh, 90s PC version and an app that cost fucking $3. A three? Yeah. Come on, son. Yeah. But you know who doesn't cost $3? Oh, oh, I know this one. It's Facty, isn't it? It is Facty. Yeah. Don't out the knowledge for free. He's priceless. He is. You know? The popular phrase, back to square one, was influenced by the game of Snakes and Ladders. Oh, that makes yes. a lot of sense. Yes. It's just one of those things that you don't put it together until you do, and yeah. then you're like, you're like oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, there's a giant Snakes and Ladders uh, game painted in a primary school yard in uh, Kiliman Rock, Scotland. Oh, cool. Leave it to the Scots to do something right? awesome like that. Black children weren't depicted until fucking 1974. Get the... F- which is 31 years after Milton Bradley took over. Jesus. Yes. This is, this is the one where I was like, you know what's the worst part about writing scripts? Get pissed off about something. Yeah. That's fucked. That is super screwed up. You know what's not screwed up? Hmm. In 1862, a year into the Civil War, the Philadelphia Publishing Company, Charlton and Althrop, Registered a trademark for an optimistic and bellicose game of succession or sketches of the rebellion, which is a four-color game board that is made up of small patriotic scenes, portraits of Union and Confederate generals, and cartoons mocking the Confederate cause. (laughs) (laughs) That just goes to show you, man. The Confederate has just never been shit to anybody. No. And, you know, it's so... Yeah. And... 
Like, as a, as a history person, mm-hmm. it's just like, that shit. I saw a thing that was like... Just, just burns my ass. I saw a thing that was like, you can't be mad that I burned your Confederate flag down and it set your house on fire. It, it's not a thing of hate, it's a thing of heritage. You know, how Yankees always do. <laughs> <I'm> yeah. like, <laughs> yes. Uh, one episode of SpongeBob SquarePants called Sailor Mouth features a parody of a game known as Eels and Escalators. <laughs> I would play that. That sounds yeah, fun. That sounds for hella fun. And with that, we climb our way to the end of another wild slide here at Toys R Us. Yeah. Uh, I've always really liked Shoots and Ladders because at the end of the day, ultimately it is fair. Yeah. Anybody can either fuck up or, like, succeed easily. It's, it's really up to fucking chance. Yep. If you like what you heard and what you learned and you'd like to continue learning, consider doing the following. Leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes slash Apple Podcast. It helps immediately and is not ego-based by any means. Uh, you can follow us on all social media. We're at Toys R Us Podcast across the board. I think we're pretty funny. I think so. And you can sp- support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Toys R Us Podcast. We'll love you forever if you do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Until next time, remember, time is on my slide. Ah! Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So, thank you to Jeremy, Jessica, Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon, and Steven. Thanks a bunch, guys.